Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by Lee Jeep with the new Jeep Wrangler and Grand Cherokee 4xE plug-in hybrid models at Lee Jeep in Auburn and Westbrook. LeeAuto.com. Welcome to Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Steve Missler, Maine Public's chief political correspondent. This week and through the election, The Pulse is teaming up with Maine Calling to bring listeners weekly news and analysis about the 2022 midterms. These discussions will occur live during Maine Calling's regular Friday broadcast, which takes place between 11 a.m. and noon and is rebroadcast from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. What you're about to hear is a lightly edited version of today's live discussion hosted by Maine Calling's Jennifer Rooks with political reporter Kevin Miller and myself. Welcome back to both of you, Steve. Let's start by talking about spending. How much money is being spent on Maine's gubernatorial race? How is it being spent? And does it really matter? Well, Jen, I'll start with the first part of your question, which is the the spending in the governor's race is approaching $14 million. Now that is strictly spending that is independent of the candidate campaigns. And it's arguably more influential because this type of spending by party affiliated groups and interest groups routinely eclipses candidate spending in the post Citizens United world, which is what we're living in. Uh, The gubernatorial spending has really exploded recently, almost doubling uh, from two weeks ago. And that's pretty typical, except the amounts are a lot higher this time, I think, than in recent past. And the effect of it is unclear. I mean, some voters don't tune in to elections until just before they have to vote. So these groups often time their spending to coincide with a spike in voter interest. You also you also asked about whether the spending matters. Well, it can, uh, but sometimes it's on the margins. And I think that's especially true in the governor's race because Democratic Governor Janet Mills and former Republican Governor Paula Page are so well known that people have formed strong opinions of them. Uh, That said, if the race is tight, the spending could be influential on undecided voters um, because they might just be tuning in or they may not have strong opinions about either uh, either of those candidates or independent Sam Hunkler, who's really um, he's not participating in this uh, ad blitz. And polls indicate that there aren't many of these undecided voters out there. But if there are, they could have an outsized role in determining the winner if the race is close. Um, on to congressional contest real, really briefly, $25 million in the race in the second congressional districts. That's the third most expensive house race in the country. Mm. Uh, and pretty much, um, and that pretty much means that TV viewers in that part of the state are going to see nothing but mostly negative ads up until election day. You mentioned TV ads though, Steve, and this is when I asked, does it really matter? I'm wondering, or, or, or at some point, does the money become irrelevant? There are only so many places, yeah. uh, only so many ad buys. At some point, how many flyers can somebody receive in their mailbox? And I'm just wondering if, you know, does it really make a difference if a pack is spending $5 million or $10 million? I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. And it's a hard question to answer. And there's been some you know, studies about this and whether or not the spending actually depresses the vote because it just sort of turns people off. And they're just like, I don't like either one of these people and I'm not going to go. I'm not going to turn out at all. There's a school of thought that suggests that the spending depresses the vote. There's another one that says that, you know, it might hit those on the margins voters, voters who are just sort of, you know, tune in to out, tune out at the last minute. And um, the, the, those folks 
they might be caught up in this or persuaded by it. And then there's, I think, the the intent of some of the spending, and that's just basically to keep partisan voters who already know how they're going to vote, just to make sure that they're engaged. And that, I think, is, I think the the spending that you're seeing now is is has that three pronged approach and and trying to hit those three buckets of voters. Kevin Miller, it is not just the big races like governor and Congress this year, right? There are local races attracting outside funding. Tell me about them. Yeah, that's right, Jen. You know, we're seeing enormous amounts of money being spent in legislative races and in Maine Senate races in particular. You know, I think it's important to note that it's not typically the candidates who are spending these huge sums. Many of our legislative candidates here in Maine take advantage of our public funding uh, system, the Clean Elections Program. But it's, as Steve was talking about in the governor's rates, it's it's the national parties and these outside groups that are spending all this money in the legislative races. They've they've funneled about $4.7 million into legislative contests as of this morning. And uh, like I said, most of that is going towards main Senate races. Uh, one race that I've been paying a lot of attention to and others have as well is the contest up in Arista County between Senate President Troy Jackson, who's a well-known Democrat up there, and Republican Sue Bernard, who's a member of the House right now. Uh, these outside groups have, have pumped more than $800,000 into that race alone. And much of that is coming from the Democrats who are trying to defend uh, President Jackson's seat. We've, we've seen a lot of six-figure spending in other races. You know, There's been about 400000 that's gone into a Senate race just outside of Augusta, um, here between Democratic Senator Craig Hickman and Republican Jeff Hanley. We're also seeing some of these six-figure uh, spending races in Waldo, Lincoln, and Androscoggin counties, you know, just to name a few. So we're, we're pretty much in unprecedented territory here as well, as far as the amount of spending that's going into the state house, And that's because a lot of these policy issues, they come down to the state level. So that's where a lot of the battles are happening. And that's where you're seeing a lot of the spending nationally. In addition to the congressional races there, the national groups are putting money into state house races because those policy, big policy decisions are often made at the state level because there's so much gridlock and partisanship in, in Congress. Kevin, when you're talking about this outside funding, doesn't this really undermine the intentions of Maine's clean election law? Well, that certainly you know could could be said. I mean, the clean elections law is intended to to reduce the influence of outside spending and you know make sure that candidates are addressing the issues that that voters want to hear about and are not out there raising money. And that's still still the case. I mean, when a, a candidate is participating in the clean elections program, they don't have to go out and do a lot of fundraising. So that hypothetically allows them to to talk to voters, to hold town halls, to to to, to go to events, but. All of us are seeing these political ads, but then you know, seeing our, our mailboxes are filled with these flyers, which to your point and to C's point earlier, how much of an impact that is, I my guess is the vast majority of those flyers just end up going straight in the recycling bin. But when I've talked to some of the people who run these campaigns in the past, they say, yeah, we expect that, but there's always that small percentage that we're trying to reach. And you know, this this outside spending, that's there's nothing to, to prohibit that from happening here in Maine. Steve, your Political Pulse newsletter this week answers 18 questions because we are 18 days till Election Day. Clever. Many of those questions have to do with issues and specifically national issues that the parties are trying to localize. So let's go party by party. The Republicans are talking a lot about gas prices and inflation. Is this effective? Well, Jen, polling suggests uh, Republicans have been somewhat successful in congressional contests, uh, you know, sort of linking Democrats to gas prices and inflation. 
that's somewhat less so in the in um in in the 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 two congressional races in Maine, but I'll get to that in a second. But it's even the further down the ballot you get to these state level races, like for governor and the legislature, at least in Maine, the polling suggests that this strategy isn't really working out, um, or it's yet to pan out for Republicans. Um, that you know, but let me shift back to the congressional contest real quick. One of the reasons why I don't think it will necessarily be a factor in, say, the first congressional district where Shelley Pingree uh, appears to be well ahead of Republican challenger Ed Thielander, you know, the, the Republicans aren't even really running ads in that race because its polls have indicated that it's just not competitive, and so you know, this inflation, gas prices thing, just may not really be may not play there um, in the first place. And it just may not matter because Pingree seems to be so far ahead. In the second congressional district, you know, Congressman, Democratic Congressman Jared Golden has opposed much of the spending bills that the GOP claims worsen inflation domestically. So they're having a hard time chaining him to those spending proposals that he voted against. So but in state level races for the legislature and governor, polls indicate that Republicans are having some difficulty, again, chaining Democrats to high ga gas prices and the high costs of goods. There's some sound reasons for this. I mean, state level politicians have almost no impact on either problem. I mean, yes, the legislature could raise the gas tax, but that hasn't happened in Maine in more than a decade. Um, and so what the, the, the Republican Party and aligned interest groups are doing is instead focusing on this three-year-old bill that would have taxed carbon pollution and potentially raised the gas tax by 40 cents. That bill is dead. It is. It was arguably dead before it ever got a public hearing, and that's because raising the gas tax is just political kryptonite. It's why you don't see it happening. Um, you don't even see alternatives when state budgets, highway budgets, are under duress because cars are becoming more fuel efficient and so there's less collections from the gas tax. Even though there's that budgetary pressure to uh, maintain roads and bridges, politicians will not raise the gas tax because they're terrified of its electoral impacts. But Republican attacks are you know, basically framing this bill that never went anywhere differently and sometimes falsely. Uh, in some cases, they're saying this higher gas tax is in effect, which is false. And in others, they're suggesting that it's going to happen, which is highly unlikely. Mm. Kevin, uh, Steve and I were talking about Republicans. Let's talk about Democrats. They're talking a lot about abortion. Is this going to be as much of a motivation for voters this fall as it appeared to be earlier this year? Well, I think it's safe to say that it's def definitely still a motivator for a lot of Democrats as well as abortion rights supporters you know, of any political stripe. Yeah, but the question, like you raise, is whether that issue is still resonating as much now as it did a couple of months ago. We're still seeing Governor Mills and, and Democrats you know, hammer this abortion issue you know, over and over again as they warned that Governor LePage and, his, and a Republican majority would likely try to chip away at Maine's legal protections for abortion. You know, LePage has said he won't do that. But you know, as we've talked about here before, Democrats say he shouldn't be believed, and you know, they point to places like Virginia, where that Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin, he tried to keep his distance from abortion during the campaign, but then proposed pretty significant restrictions on the practice once he got into office and the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. I think a big part of the campaign messaging that we've heard from Governor Mills and from Democrats this fall is that the same thing would happen here in Maine. Polls still indicate that abortion is a top issue for a lot of voters, especially Democrats. And I think that's 
really key for Democrats. They want to make sure their voters, their base gets out and votes on Election Day. So I think we're going to continue to hear that. Steve, anecdotally, the issue I'm hearing the most confusion about from people I know, people who write into Maine Calling, is education. And the way that this is being presented as an election issue, I think in your Political Pulse newsletter, you refer to as woke education. Where are we on that? What it, What's sort of being, what are candidates being accused of? What's the truth? And, and, and how much are voters going to make their decision based on this? Yeah, it, this is actually a great segue from what Kevin just brought up about uh, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, who also really pioneered or kind of offered a blueprint for other Republican governor or gubernatorial candidates um, on this issue. And it's, it originated by tapping this discontent over pandemic school closures and maybe masking of students and that sort of thing. But since then, it's grown into basically this attack on so-called woke education which is essentially, um, it's, that's become, I guess, kind of defined as opposition to teachings about race, racial history in this country, and LGBTQ issues. It's difficult to know whether it's, it's successful in Maine. It definitely was in Virginia. And uh, one of the groups that was operating there, the American Principles Project, they were active in that race, and they're very active in the Maine race trying to help LePage defeat Governor Janet Mills. And what they're essentially trying to do is just prove that public school teachers, you know, are working under these unwritten orders, in this case from Governor Mills, that they're trying to indoctrinate Maine school kids and, you know, wokeism, which is a basically a term co-opted by conservative activists um, as they try to, you know, describe teachings about race and LGBTQ issues. They have several ads running on television about these purported indoctrination efforts, but it's really unclear to me if they're resonating I mean, Democrats and other states were definitely caught off guard by these type of attacks, and they certainly were in Virginia. But I think they've since learned how to frame this as an attack on public education and teachers themselves. In some cases, teachers have been targeted. And they're also pointing out the fact that in some states, these, you know, this, uh, this, the idea that there's woke education that needs to be, you know, in check has been turned into an excuse to ban books that conservatives don't like. And so Democrats have honed their rebuttal to these attacks. I think we'll just have to wait and see whether, you know, whether it's effective one way or the other. I mean, there is a sense that voters are maybe seeing through it, but I think it might resonate with some parents for sure. Kevin, both Governor Mills and former Governor LePage are well known to voters, but former Governor LePage is trying to remake his image. How's that going? Well, I'd say it's been uh, a bit rocky. Um, I mean, look, the page we've seen during this campaign, when we've seen him, has been fairly on message and hasn't strayed into some of this, you know, the boisterous rhetoric and the crude language that got him into trouble seemingly weekly uh, for most of his eight years as governor. There was an incident a few months ago where he was caught on tape threatening to punch a Democratic staffer who was videotaping him and getting uh, way too close uh, to comfort for his taste. Um, and he's certainly given fact checkers plenty to do, which which is nothing new when it comes to Governor LePage. But uh, Democrats say that all this is window dressing and and they have uh, their choice of eight years worth of content to remind voters about about all the controversial things that Governor LePage said when he was in office. But some people really liked LePage because he told it like it is and and wasn't politically correct. So by rebranding him as a softer, gentler guy. Uh, you know, does that hurt him with his base? 
I'd say probably not. It's been a, a mixed bag. You know, they've certainly succeeded in keeping him on message. When he is in public, he has not held as many uh, press conferences. He's held more than than Mills has, but hey, he hasn't been out there and hasn't said a lot of the more controversial things that got him into trouble in the past. All right, Steve, Mills is really presenting herself as a bipartisan governor. How's that going and will it sway voters? Well, there are certainly Republican lawmakers who will disagree with that assessment or self-assessment. Um, but, you know, this tack might actually help with those undecided voters, Jen, that we talked a little bit about at the beginning of the, of the segment, or maybe even independents, which are a significant part of the electorate. But yeah, I mean, Mills has a couple of ads out right now that are aimed squarely at this idea that she can work with Republicans and independents. One of them features um, independent U.S. Senator Angus King. Well, another feature, you know, highlights three re- Republican legislator legislators, excuse me, who say they they're voting for Mills instead of LePage. Now, two of those former legislators had run-ins with LePage when he was governor, so their testimonials about his divisiveness and conduct serve as a contrast to what they say say about Mills. And this message just also happens to tie into a larger one that Kevin was just talking about that Democrats are trying to make about LePage and his personal transformation his campaign is touting. The, 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 these Mills ads about bipartisanship are meant to dovetail with that message because it, because the Democrats are saying about LePage is that he was divisive, he was chaotic, he lashed out at members of his own party, uh, all of which is true. But you know the idea, I think, from, from the Democrats' perspective and certainly from the Mills campaign perspective is to sort of undercut the idea that LePage has transformed in some way um, and that he's a different type of person or leader than he was when he um, when he was governor for eight years. And Kevin, all the candidates seem to be in agreement on the plight of Maine lobstermen right now, but the candidates are still making claims about each other. And I'm wondering, um, is this something that the Republicans are being effective at? Is this an Achilles heel for Democrats? Republicans certainly seem to sense that it's the Democrats' Achilles heel because they've been going after them, uh, to use another cliche, kind of like pit bulls for uh, weeks now. As we've said before, there's really isn't a lot of daylight between those elected leaders here in Maine on this issue. You know, much to the disheartenment of people who have real concerns about the fact that right whales kind of seem to be sliding toward extinction. But We've seen or heard some lobstermen booing Governor Mills at events, even though she's doing and saying pretty much the same thing as the Republicans. In fact, I think you can argue, and certainly they've been arguing, that she's been doing more because her administration is involved in several lawsuits to block these whale-safe rules that would impose uh, new restrictions on on lobstermen. Uh, But Republicans say that that's not enough. And I think it's important to add some context here that this is pretty much a continuation or an expansion of the political campaign, and it definitely was political, that Republicans were running against Mills, targeting her on the whole offshore wind power industry for uh, for a number of years before we got to the this most recent controversy with, with the lobstermen. Governor Mills, she did respond to the, that controversy involving uh, wind power by basically imposing a moratorium on on deep on offshore wind and saying she's going to look at it to make sure that it doesn't impact the lobster uh, fishery and other fisheries. But lobstermen, you know, were were really upset about that push and have concerns about how that would affect their industry. And Republicans have really been able to tap into that angst and that frustration and kind of build on it with these uh, new federal regulations on lobstermen. And that's Maine's political pulse for this week. 
Be sure to tune into Main Calling next Friday at 11 a.m. to hear The Pulse live. And if you can't tune in, podcast subscribers can still hear The Pulse Friday afternoons. And don't forget our weekly newsletter, which you can read at mainpublic.org pulse. I'm Steve Missler. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>